So I want, I want to introduce, uh, first of all, my name is Benji Eisen, I'm from Rolling Stone, and I uh, also do Deadbeat, which is a, manage, a management company that was formed to uh, manage drummer Bill Kreutzmann from the Grateful Dead, and therefore I'd like to introduce a drummer who's been described as the pride of India, and a musical ambassador, he's a professor, he is also an incredible drummer, ladies and gentlemen, Rohan. All right, so, well, thanks so much for sticking around. We're just trying to build some suspense here. Um, <laughs> uh, this is the, the last act of the day, so to speak. Uh, I'm really, really excited to be here today I'm at my first ever and hopefully not last uh, SF Music Tech Summit. Uh, it's been a really great experience so far. And um, I'll be talking about some of my uh, research interests that are at the intersection of uh, music and technology, and specifically online music education. Um, again, uh, if you didn't get a chance to check out my bio uh, on the website, I'm a San Francisco-based uh, drummer, composer, uh, educator, and entrepreneur. I'm a professor at uh, Ohlone College in Fremont and the South Bay. And um, my PhD dissertation at the University of Rochester, the Eastman School of Music over there, um, was on online music education. So I'll be talking about that. Um, after my presentation, which I'll keep, uh, keep short today uh, in view of the time, I'll be playing a short uh, drum solo for all of you, and then we'll have uh, some time for Q&A, and we may possibly have an impromptu jam session as well if uh, some of the other musicians trickle in. So here we go. All right, so uh, to get started, I want to talk a little bit about my, uh, my area of musical specialization. As I mentioned, I'm a, I'm a percussionist, and I specialize in hand drumming, and especially uh, Indian hand drumming, Indian classical music. Uh, just a few words about Indian classical music. It's one of the oldest uh, and most uh, complex systems of music in the entire world. It has a history of over 2,000 years. It originated in, in the Vedic period, two to 3,000 years ago. Uh, it has an equal emphasis on melody and rhythm. And it's primarily an oral and aural tradition. That means for generations and generations, it's been passed down entirely through performance and by, by listening and speaking. Uh, its rhythmic system is considered one of the most intricate in the entire world. There are countless drums that are found all over India, but one of the most uh, ancient, popular, and versatile instruments is called, called the mridangam. Uh, we can see a picture of it here, and we have a real-life uh, mridangam right here. This is a double-sided pitched hand drum. So this is played with the fingers and the palms. Uh, it has two sides, a, a tonal side and a bass side. And this is also, again, a very old instrument that's been uh, cited in musical treatises that go back 2,000 years. So there are three uh, primary parts to this instrument. Uh, there's what we call the tonal head, the bass head, and a central wooden shell to which the two sides are connected. The tonal head has a really interesting aspect, uh, which is this black, circular black fixture in the middle. Uh, it's interesting. This is actually often dismissed as mere decoration, but it's actually one of the most salient aspects of this instrument. It's made of 20 to 30 layers of an iron oxide and starch mixture. And it's this, this loading that allows for the production of harmonic overtones, or simply put, pitches. Uh, so this is one of the few drums in the entire world that has both a kind of singing melodic quality as well as a driving rhythmic quality. Uh, some of you may be familiar with a the, with the close cousin of this instrument called the tabla, uh, which is basically the same instrument except chopped in half and played vertically. Uh, this is also an instrument from India. Uh, there's another instrument called the pakawaj, which is also very similar in construction. Um, and these are pretty much the three instruments that have this pitched element. 
Uh, so here we can see the three primary parts of the instrument. This is the bass head, the tonal head with this central circular uh, loading, and the wooden shell to which the two sides are connected. Over the last few years, I've been uh, working on developing a new way to mount and tune uh, these drum heads uh, that's just more user-friendly and durable. The traditional instrument has both of these heads connected to the shell by means of through-and-through -through leather strapping. Uh, this is the way that pretty much all drums were created uh, all over the world, if you think of even a colonial era of snare drums. Uh, most of you have probably seen pictures of these drums. They're basically a drum head connected to a shell by means of through-and-through -through leather strapping. Um, the leather strapping idea is great uh, when you have an artisan who lives next door and, and who can fix the instrument whenever you have issues with it. Um, but most practitioners around the world don't have that luxury, and a lot of touring musicians uh, certainly don't have that luxury. So I was um, trying to find a way to make this more uh, user-friendly, and I came up with a system that combines the through-and-through -through fastening idea with a more uh, modern nut-and-bolt system of, uh, of, of uh, fastening. There are a bunch of advantages to this new design. This instrument here actually... Uh, is one of my early prototypes. Uh, you now have a much greater pitch range, so these instruments can uh, now go have a pitch range of plus or minus two to three whole steps, in many cases even more. Uh, the traditional instrument has a pitch range of about plus or minus uh, a whole step, if that. The drum heads can be tuned independently, so the two heads are now uh, independent of each other and can be tuned separately, and, can, and the heads can also be replaced in a matter of minutes by the practitioner himself or herself, so it's just a lot easier to work with. When dealing with an instrument with a 2,000-year history, the uh, visual aesthetic and elegance is also extremely important. Uh, and my design retains this weaved rope, uh, the traditional technology of the weaved rope, and pre preserves that, uh, that elegance. Uh, just last year, I received a patent for this design. Uh, and I'm actually in the process of manufacturing uh, this uh, design specifically for the Murdungam, and I'm also working on applying it to uh, a host of other drums that need to be fine-tuned, um, including the tabla, djembes, bongos, you name it. So these will be available uh, in about a year. Uh, as I mentioned, so this instrument's played with the fingers and palms. It's a, it's a hand drum. And it uses a really advanced technique called the split-finger technique, um, which basically allows us to split our fingers into very specific formations to create very specific sounds on the drum. So usually, you know, if, if an untrained person were to approach a drum, the, uh, a hand drum, the, the f basic technique is to use your entire hand and, and basically just hit the instrument with all, all, your, you know, all your fingers. But the split finger technique basically uses every finger as a separate drumstick. So in a sense, we have 10 uh, independent drumsticks to work with. Uh, and that allows us to create uh, literally a dozen or more sounds uh, on, on this instrument. So in a sense, the Murdungam is kind of like an Indian drum set. Uh, you really have a full range of sounds uh, on this one drum. All right, so uh, since elementary school, I've been interested in uh, the arts and sciences and I've been pursuing them in, in a variety of ways. So as, as part of my PhD research, I was interested in finding sort of an intersection uh, between these, these two areas. And I landed on the topic of virtual music lessons. Um, this was a very new... Uh, topic for research, and that's right at the intersection of music, education, technology, and globalization. Um, this is something that's been going on for a, for a few years now um, in a variety of traditions, but interestingly, there's been almost no scholarship or no scholarly research uh, on this topic, uh, let alone in uh, Indian percussion and Indian music, but any musical tradition. So uh, it was a really sort of exciting new frontier to, to uh, study. I conduct, uh, conducted ethnographic research uh, with dozens of students and leading performer teachers, 
in North America and India over several years as part of my research. And I was focusing on real-time online music education. So unlike the Coursera-style uh, education where you have you know, resources that are posted online, uh, accessed by students, I was looking at lessons that were actually happening in real-time, uh, often uh, with teachers located in, in India and students in the Indian diaspora, primarily in the United States and the UK. I found that these uh, real-time online lessons began uh, around 2004, uh, which coincides with the advent of high-speed internet uh, availability in a lot of Indian metropolitan cities. The lessons are primarily offered on Skype uh, and Google Hangout, free net conferencing software, um, between teachers in India and students in the Indian diaspora. Uh, it's worth mentioning that the U.S. actually has the largest Indian diaspora in the world, and the Bay Area in particular has one of the largest Indian uh, diasporas in, in the world. So a lot of these students are here in the Bay. So there are a bunch of reasons why virtual music lessons have become so popular uh, in Indian music. In fact, uh, today, in online music education is uh, certainly maybe not the norm, but is uh, far from exceptional. Uh, many, many, many students all over the world take online lessons. This is not the case with a lot of musical traditions. Um, if you look at Western classical music and jazz, uh, pedagogy uh, here in the United States and uh, abroad, it's still very much based on the face-to-face -face interaction. Uh, but in the Indian music context, uh, online lessons have become uh, quite, quite common and certainly acceptable. Uh, and there are a variety of reasons um, why this has happened. Uh, it's especially interesting when you consider a musical tradition that has a 2,000-year history. Uh, in just a matter of 10 years, uh, online music education has become so widespread. And this reflects a variety of global flows, including, including the global flow of people, technology, money, and ideas. Obviously, the uh, flow of people has led to these large uh, diasporic communities in different parts of the world, especially the U.S. and the U.K. The global flow of technology, especially computers and high-speed Internet, has made uh, this kind of techno-pedagogy possible. The global flow of money uh, has created currency conversion rates that make online lessons with leading performer teachers very affordable for people in the United States and very lucrative for people in India. So there's a, a very uh, important economic element to all of this. And the global flow of ideas, especially the desire of the diasporic communities to maintain a cultural connection to the Indian homeland, is kind of what's driving a lot of uh, this techno-pedagogy. So here's a picture of uh, one of the teachers that I worked with in India. Uh, on the left, uh, you can see the teacher, and on the right, you can see the student. They're sitting face-to-face -face with their drums. Uh, the teacher is sort of uh, leaning over towards the student and pointing something out on, on her uh, uh, tonal head. This is... Arguably the kind of education, musical education, that's been going on for centuries, even millennia, uh, in Indian music. It's, uh, again, remarkable to consider that in a matter of about 10 years, this kind of pedagogy has, in some cases, many cases, been substituted by this. So it looks similar enough. You know, you see a teacher with an instrument, but now the teacher is uh, interacting with a student through uh, a computer, uh, in this case an iPad. So there's this kind of computer mediation between the teacher and the student. Um, and this, uh, all these teachers actually are based in uh, Chennai, India, which is a, a major southeastern uh, Indian city and a musical hub in India. Here's another picture of a, a teacher who's also teaching online, in this case without, uh, without an instrument. So he's teaching entirely uh, orally and, and through verbal des descriptions. This is a video clip of an online lesson. So actually in the last five years, uh, I've also started teaching uh, online, and I now have uh, several students uh, in the U.S., Europe, and Asia. Uh, this is a, 
a short clip of uh, one of my lessons. Uh, fortunately, it's not loading, uh, so you'll have to uh, check out my website, which is uh, rohanrhythm.com, to, to check out this clip and some others. So there are obviously myriad similarities and differences between online and face-to-face -face pedagogy. I found that the pedagogical repertoire, basically what is taught and the way it's taught, the pedagogical methodology, is fluid and essentially the same, both in online and face-to-face contexts. And uh, the repertoire and methodology are based on the performance repertoire. In other words, teachers are trying to teach their students the uh, skills to perform. Uh, so the repertoire and the methodology is based on performance. That's kind of the, the goal for most of these uh, teachers. Of course, there's some important differences. So there's no physical interaction. Uh, we saw the teacher, you know, the face-to-face -face context, leaning over to the student and, you know, uh, touching her hand and touching the drum head. That kind of thing can happen online, obviously. The audio-video latency or lag uh, prevents synchronous performance. So in a face-to-face -face context, it's very common for a teacher to say, you know, clap out a beat while the student is playing. Something as simple or basic as this is not possible in an online context uh, yet. Video transmission is often subpar, substandard, um, and uh, especially when you're dealing with teachers in India where even the uh, power supply can't be taken for granted. Uh, a high-speed internet and a strong Wi-Fi signal certainly can't be taken for granted. So teachers often rely exclusively on audio transmission. I found that even uh, voice teachers, uh, a lot of Indian voice teachers, uh, teach exclusively using the audio and, and no video. Uh, so there's, they're just using the audio transmission. Uh, because of the substandard uh, video quality in many cases, uh, I found that verbal descriptions and vocal percussion are often used instead of instrumental demonstrations. So teachers, instead of playing in an online context, they'll often describe to the student what they're trying to have the student do. Uh, Indian percussion uses a really complex system of vocal percussion. Uh, it's, it's sort of a complete drum language. It's a way of saying and singing all the rhythms that are performed on an instrument. Uh, so this is also used, the vocal percussion is also used um, instead of instrumental demonstrations. In a sense, we find that words, oh, we find that words are often substituting for notes, musical notes in an online context. While uh, some teachers use notation, audio video recordings, and other educational supplements, I found that most teachers online are not using uh, these kind of educational supplements. They're teaching almost entirely through oral, um, or, you know, verbal descriptions and oral presentations of repertoire, uh, which kind of reinforces the continuing oral and aural nature of uh, Indian music. So even in 2014, when teachers are teaching over Skype or Google Hangout, we find that this tradition is still largely oral and aural. And certain advanced skills like ensemble performance, improvisation, instrumental techniques, as well as cultural codes and values are often taught in person. So teachers, a lot of teachers think that there are limitations to online education. There are certain things that can't be taught, and they expect their students to meet them in person either in India or when they, when they tour in the United States, they expect their students to meet them to learn some of these advanced skills. Here's just a slide um, that shows... Uh, a notational system that was developed by one of my teachers uh, who did want to use notation in online context. And we can see uh, he's come up with a pretty interesting system here uh, that's based on the vocal percussion syllables. And he's created all sorts of uh, symbols, underlines, and periods to demonstrate different sort of rhythmic uh, variables. But this was, again, the exception. Like I said, most teachers taught entirely orally. And they found that the online medium was, um, was allowed them to teach in this sort of 
uh, ancient oral tradition. All right, so looking ahead. I'm interested in studying uh, culture-specific and cross-cultural uh, studies on versatile music lessons in, in different musical traditions and communities. Um, um, again, I mentioned that uh, online music education still hasn't really become the norm, um, and it's certainly not the norm in uh, Western classical music, jazz, many other traditions, uh, but it's becoming increasingly popular. Uh, and again, there's, the scholarship is way, way behind uh, the practice. Uh, so I'm interested in looking at uh, online music education in different, different traditions and different communities and also comparing them. A big part of this is also the historical development of music pedagogy. How has music pedagogy changed over the years? Obviously, this is a very, uh, very major and very obvious change um, in pedagogy, but how has it changed in, in the centuries past? That's something that certainly is worth looking at. Uh, I'm also interested in uh, interdisciplinary studies, especially to improve the technology that's used in online music education. As I mentioned, the audio-video uh, latency is a big problem, uh, and there are lots of other types of features that could be incorporated into uh, a Skype kind of platform uh, to make it more customized for online music education. And finally, I guess the big question is the long-term implications of online education. And this is something that uh, goes way beyond uh, music. Um, a lot of us are still sort of uh, contemplating the long-term implications of the online degree. Is the online degree uh, equal to, to, the, to the degree that's earned face-to-face, -face, and uh, if not, what are the differences in the online experience? And that's, of course, an open question uh, that remains to be answered. Alrighty, so that's just a little bit about my, about my research in online music education. Um, I'll actually wait for the Q&A. Uh, I'll, I'll uh, give you a little performance, since there's been a lot of talking at the summit, but very little musicking. So <laughs> I'll uh, play, play, play a little bit of music for you. Uh, then we'll have some time for Q&A. So, thanks. All right, so this, is, this piece is uh, equally composed and improvised, and it's in a, a seven-beat odd meter. So you're probably really used to hearing 4-4 four, four and uh, maybe 3-4, but this is a sort of a unique meter in 7-4. In seven, seven,
All right, so questions? We have a drum circle on the weekends. You're more than welcome. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Can you talk a little bit about the Pakawaj and the Meridangam's resemblance? Oh, yeah, sure. That's a really uh, technical question. Um, the two instruments are actually very similar. Um, they both, one side has this tonal patch, so you get that pitch sound. The other side's like the bass head. Uh, they're both played horizontally, um, so they're very similar in that sense. But there are some slight constructional differences that get you different uh, sound colors and, and you know, tonal possibilities. So the type of wood that's used, the type of leather that's used, the number of layers of leather that's used is a little different. So, uh, so they sound a little bit different, too. Uh, but, and, of course, stylistically, the way that they're played, the types of repertoire that's pl that, that are played are... Um, are similar, but also there have been centuries for the for the Pakawaj repertoire to develop sort of independently too. So it's kind of has its own style. Yeah. Hi. So um, I was hearing the overtones mm -hmm. that you mentioned. Um, does it do overtones other than octaves and fifths? It's primarily the the octave and the fifth. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. I was just wondering. Yeah. So is it just the location that changes the overtone or the way that you're hitting? But yeah, basically the way that you're striking. So, you know, one stroke that's going to get you, like, the, the fundamental is just sort of the easy open yeah. stroke. But then if you, uh, you know, dampen the edge of the black patch here, you get... Different, different shades. And then if you play on the rim, you get sort of semi-tonal sounds you can sort of hear the yeah. pitch but not entirely oh, yeah cool. it's pretty cool yeah it's super easy to play so yeah. what i did was actually really easy <laughs> can you talk about uh yeah for sure go go for it open drum circle anyone can play it now <laughs> can you talk about the the language and and maybe sing some bowls oh yeah sure so um and what was what was the rhythm cycle you played in uh it was a seven seven beat cycle so the, um, the drum language uh, is, like I mentioned, sort of a complete uh, way of, uh, of representing all the sounds that are created on the instrument. So um, we're sort of familiar, many of you are familiar with beatboxing and scatting, which is a similar kind of tradition, but um, in many ways the, the syllables are just kind of, um, they sort of sound like some, you know, sort of reflect some kind of sound, but they're not specifically meant to translate to an instrument. Um, but here, if I were to say something like, I can actually literally play that for stroke for stroke uh, on the instrument. So let me just do that for you. I can remember what I just said. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> so literally, literally playing what I just said. And, and both ways. So the idea is that. As I mentioned, a lot of teachers online teach almost entirely through uh, this vocal percussion language. So uh, the lessons are almost like voice lessons, in a sense. So if I, I could say this to a student, and a student who knows the language can translate that to, to an instrument, and really to any, any instrument. Um, these are basic hand drumming techniques. So you can play this on a tambourine. You can play this on a chair. You can play this on your knees, really, you know, once you know the techniques. Other questions? Yeah. Ron, you know I'm a drummer as well, and... Mm -hmm. My favorite time that I was studying is actually when I was in Hong Kong. I linked up with a drummer named Chris Bryan, mm -hmm. and he and I studied together for six months. He's Australian, and his whole thing is being able to take a lot of international sounds and putting them onto a traditional drum set. Sure. So he really inspired me, and when I left Hong Kong, 
we tried so much to do the video conferencing thing that you spoke a lot about in your presentation, but mm -hmm. I found two parts really difficult. One, the discipline of it, like having to, like it's easy to sort of move around a Skype lesson or you feel less compelled to like have your homework done by the Skype date than you do to like walk in and show your teacher what you've done. I don't know, sure. and it's less inspiring, you know, and, and then obviously the internet connection is another problem. Uh, it's just more, it's, it's annoying, you know, you're trying to have a conversation and everyone's saying what, what, what. Do you have any recommendations how to like get re-inspired or how he and I could have like a more productive Skype session via our lessons? Boot camp? <laughs> Bootcamp always uh, whips people into shape. Wait, what but, do you mean? Oh, I meant like, you know, join the military and go through like basic training <laughs> to get a sense of discipline. No, actually, um, my someone's heartbeat, yeah, there you go. Um, um, speaking of the rhythms of the universe, you know, <laughs> so um, could be coming from out of this room. So, uh, I mean, sure, there's definitely the discipline element. Um, but, you know, so the thing is, this tradition, Indian music, uh, historically, that is, like, prior to the 20th century, was actually taught in a master apprenticeship system where the, where the apprentice, where the student would actually live with the teacher for an extended period of time. So, you know, uh, an 8, 10-year-old, uh, usually boy, uh, could be sent off to a teacher uh, and could live with the teacher for anywhere from five to ten years or more uh, and become sort of an adopted son. Uh, and typically lessons weren't, you know, by the hour. They weren't uh, sort of, uh, you know, fee-based. You know, it, it's sort of you pay in kind. So you, you know, wash the dishes or you clean the clothes and you also get some musical instruction. Um, and you, of course, get this sort of lifelong mentorship with the teacher. Um, the reality is that unless the teacher and student are both motivated, even that doesn't work. Um, so, you know, my teacher, for example, he studied that way. Uh, he's you know, 80 years old. He's one of the senior most masters of this tradition today. Worked for him. He had a whole bunch of colleagues who lived with their teacher, cleaned the cow, received lessons, but no one knows about them because they didn't really do anything with it. They weren't necessarily as motivated. I mean, of course, there are many other factors that go into it, but... Um, you know, teacher and student both have to be super motivated in any learning context, perhaps even more so in an online learning context where um, you maybe don't even have, like, the face-to-face -face intimidation factor um, where a teacher's sort of, you know, the, the physical presence is there. Um, I often say, you know, I'm, I'm a strong believer in the possibilities of online education, um, but I always say that you can learn music online, but you can't learn to become a musician online. Uh, become, being a musician involves all sorts of extra musical skills. Uh, you know, how you conduct yourself you know, on stage, off stage, how you interact with other musicians, with audiences, all sorts of things. Um, so you can learn, you know, I've, my students have proven that you can learn this you know, music online, but whether you can become uh, a guru, a teacher, uh, through online education alone, is something that I think, again, it's going to take some time uh, to, to tell. The, uh, what, what you played was amazing and very lyrical. And I'm curious uh, if story is a part of the tradition, and, and if so, if that's sort of a way that as stories are passed on through, through music as the medium, and, and the marriage between the, the, the rhythmic melodies and the stories. It's, a good, it's an interesting question. Um, it's typically not framed as such. Um, teachers don't necessarily teach, at least the, the percussion in terms of stories, but a lot of this percussion actually has a very close analogy to language. Um, so actually these rhythms are often referred to as words. 
um, or sayings. And even the way the music is put together, you start by learning sort of an alphabet, a musical alphabet, which are the basic strokes on an instrument. You start putting the strokes together to form words. You start putting these words together to form sentences, sentences together to form paragraphs, paragraphs together to form you know, this musical composition. So there is that kind of literary parallel, uh, for sure. Uh, and you certainly could sort of read a kind of narrative or lyric, you know, uh, literary aspect to the music, but it's not typically uh, framed as, as such, uh, at least in recent times. Historically, the fact that we call these rhythms words or sayings maybe suggests that historically people thought about it slightly differently. So you know how the dole has been totally co-opted and destroyed as a tradition in some people's <laughs> views? Um, what do you think about if people start sampling your work and mixing it into stuff? So it's already been done. Um, uh, I've, I've, I've recorded, actually very recently recorded music for an upcoming Hollywood film. Um, so this was, of course, done uh, with my permission. So um, it's, uh, it's a complicated, complicated topic. Uh, so far, the Murdangam hasn't been sampled as much as, say, it's close cousin to Tabla. Uh, now if you buy uh, an electronic drum pad, there's a sample with a Tabla playing some kind of groove that you'll never hear a Tabla player play. <laughs> but you have that. That's been sampled. It's, of course, probably only a matter of time before... Uh, these instruments are sampled as well. But um, I think it really comes down to artistry. Uh, you can have as many samples as you want, but unless you know how to use these samples and you know, do something with it, uh, it's just a uh, library. Yeah. Any other questions? You, know, you guys can feel free to come up and take a look at the instrument and try it out uh, if you'd like. And again, I direct you to my website, rohanrhythm.com. I have cards too as well, um, so there's a lot more information about the sort of traditional as well as cross-musical uh, projects that, I'm, that I have worked on, that I'm currently working on, uh, and you can also learn more about online music education and all those uh, topics in my, on my new patent as well. All right, so thanks again for your attention, and <laughs> see you at the party. <laughs>